Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, everybody, stand up on your feet. Stand up and stretch your arms up in the sky. There we go. That was a long biannual report, but it was so good, and now I'm ready for the word. All right, say... Teach me, Lord, what you want to teach me today. Holy Spirit, change my heart to be more like you. Amen. Okay, you can sit down. You feel ready now? You feel ready? Okay, so we're in the middle of a series called Consider the Outcome, where we're looking at different characters from the Bible. We're learning from their victories. We're learning from their failures, and we're learning about God. We're pulling out all these nuggets of truth so we can know what God is like, so we can know how we're meant to follow him. Amen? That's what we're doing. So today, we are going to look at Gideon's story. But I want to ask you, have you ever felt ill-equipped for what God has called you to do? Okay. Where you've, okay, good, good, Richard. He goes, everyone here. So (laughs) it, it, and you're just like, how am I supposed to do that? That feels so overwhelming beyond my capacity. Well, Gideon felt the same thing, and there's so much we can learn. We're going to start in Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But first, I want to give you a little background before we get to Judges chapter 6. So here is where we are. God has rescued his chosen people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt through Moses. He sends as the deliverer, bring them out. He brings them to the base of Mount Sinai and he begins to teach them. They begin to get to know one another. God tells them, this is what I'm like. And this is um, what worshiping me looks like. This is what following me looks like. And he tells them and he explains the good things that he has for them if they stay devoted to him. And he warns them, do not adopt the evil practices of the nations around you. He gives them great detail about the blessing, protection, and relationship with him that they'll have if they follow his righteous ways. He goes into great detail about the consequences, oppression, and separation from him that they will experience if they reject him by worshiping other gods, despising his ways. And so what the Israelites do is they go back and forth between being faithful to God and rejecting God. So by the time we get to the book of Judges, God has brought the Israelites into the land he's promised them, but it is full of um, worship of false gods, and they have rejected God. And so what God did, he would permit oppression over his people because of his justice, because of that divine wrath, because of their sinful choices, yet he would have mercy when they would cry out for help, he would have mercy on them by providing them a deliverer or a judge. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Judges. But as soon as that righteous judge would die, the people would return to their sin and the cycle would go all over again. Okay, so here we are in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them 
into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to God for help. So like clockwork, every year the Midianites would come in and raid Israel. They'd release their camels and livestock and completely devour their fields. They were completely stripped bare. Whenever the Israelites would resist, the Midianites would drive them into the hills or the mountains. So here we have God's people. They've lost everything. They're hiding in caves. So they've lost their, their houses. They've lost their food. They've lost their livestock. They've lost their possessions. And so here they cry out to God. But notice at this point, it's, um, it's, not, a, it's not one of repentance. They're crying out in anguish due to their poverty, all their losses and the constant danger that they're living in. So we need help. So this is the impossible situation the oppressive situation that God's people were in. So let's keep going in verse seven. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So in God's mercy, he responds to their cries. And here he is. He's reminding them of the arrangement that there was and reminding them of his righteous justice. So what is the first thing I'm going to highlight to you that we can learn about God, that he is both perfectly just and merciful at the same time. What an amazing mystery. It's so true. And we see it here. Okay. Picking up in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon felt a little bit more protected. He was kind of confined, but he had a little bit more protection to do it there. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That is who Gideon is, a mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And so that is uh, Gideon's perspective. God has abandoned us. Where's all these wonders? It's his fault, right? That's where he's at. And the um, angel of the Lord continues. Lord said to turn to him and said, go and go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Can any of you relate to that? How can I possibly do what you've called me to do, God? That sounds crazy. Yet here, God is showing up and saying, mighty warrior, am I not sending you? Whoa. So what we can learn about following God is that what we believe about our identity dictates how we, how we behave. It dictates how we act. It dictates how we talk. What you believe about your identity will translate into your behavior. And your identity comes from God. It comes from him. The Bible says that before the foundations of, of the earth, he knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Knitting is complicated. I've, I've watched Elaine do it for hours and hours at community group. Every little knot, it is not this like, oh, create you. It's like this meticulous thought out pattern, this, this, this intentionality. We're knit together. Your identity comes from him. And the world wants to say you get to make your own identity. That's the message that the culture is preaching. And it is not true. In fact, the Bible explains to us the truth that we are like clay and God is the potter. That we are all the works of his hand. This verse um, says it perfectly. Um, The Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to um, peoples whose hearts are far from him. And he says, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? This is a core verse to understand identity. We are the clay. He is the potter. So so your identity comes from him. He told Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. What is he telling you? What does he tell us in his word about you? I already mentioned that you were created intentionally. That's part of your identity by a loving, powerful, and just creator. You are loved. You are valuable. And you, you want to know how, you know, because of the high price that was paid for you. That's how valuable you are. The, the life of the son of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, your identity includes you're redeemed. You've been set free from guilt You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, co-heirs with Christ. Your identity is you're not alone. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's part of your identity. You are an ambassador. You're representing Jesus to the world. Your identity is that you can endure hardship because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So your identity is that you are an endurer. 
Your identity is that you house the Holy Spirit. That means his power can flow out of you. That is part of who you are. Amen. So what you believe about your identity dictates how you will behave. So um, you can then look at your behavior and say, what am I believing about my identity that's producing this behavior? Does that make sense? And then you can evaluate, is this my true identity according to the potter who made this clay into a pot or whatever he made it into, his choice? Amen? Do we need to stand up and stretch again? Oh, a wave. Carrie has the idea of a wave. Let's try it. Starting over here. Ready? That was amazing. Okay, good job. Let us see where we are. I believe, okay, we're back in uh, verse 15. So he says, pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I'm the least. And the Lord says, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So what else can we learn about God? He likes to use the simple and the lowly, doesn't he? He likes to use the underdog. He likes to use the younger brother. Why does he do that? Because it's not by human standards that he's going to accomplish his desires. His glory and his goodness is what accomplishes it. And so he uses the weak. He uses the lowly because his strength is made perfect in weakness. That is how he works. And the simple will shame the wise, the Bible says. He says, Jesus says in Matthew 18, whoever takes the lowly position of this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we know about God that he likes to use the simple and the lowly. So what does that mean for us? Let's, let's make sure we're, we're staying humble, strongly secure in the Lord, but humble, not trying to attain pride or human standards of you know, who would be picked. Okay. So the next section I'm going to sum up. So Gideon is, is hearing what he's hearing and he's like, okay, can I, can I just have a, um, a sign to make sure that it's really you God that I'm talking to. And so Gideon goes and he prepares a goat and some bread and brings it back and presents the offering. Well, the Lord, um, touches the offering with his staff and suddenly Fire flames up and, and licks up the offering. And then uh, the angel of the Lord disappears. And so Gideon's like, whoa, I've seen the Lord. I'm going to die. That's, that, was, that was the Lord. Yep, I'm going to die now. But then the Lord says, peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And so then Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there and calls it the Lord is peace. So here we go. Verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down 
offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I'm sure it didn't sound like that. I don't know why I just did that. It seemed, it seemed right in the moment. Okay, so, so before you go any further, Gideon, set a proper spiritual foundation. A proper spiritual foundation had to be laid. This reminds me of Moses when he's going to do what God's called him to do and he had to circumcise his sons. He needed, you're about to do this big thing for God, but you must lay this proper spiritual foundation before. So the difficult thing was that God directed Gideon to start by tearing down the altar in his own father's house. And that was so risky that he did it at night. And, and sure enough, I understand why he did it at night, because they did want to kill him. See, the people had gone so far down the road of idol worship that they were willing to kill one of their own people for the cause of Baal. In contrast that with Deuteronomy 13, where God tells Moses that the idolater must be stoned. Everything's turned around. But God spared Gideon's life. God used Gideon's father, actually, to save him. His, his, uh, Joash says, listen, people, if Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks his altar. Okay? So the people are satisfied. Okay, let Baal contend with him. And we go on. So what can we learn about God here? Before moving forward with the task God has given you, lay a proper spiritual foundation. Um, and so Baal, just as an aside, is a plural word encompassing a group of false gods. Baal and Asherah were the two main deities of the region. And really what it is, demonic spirits whose mission is to rob God of all worship and of all trust from his people. And to twist all of his righteous laws and ways and have them do the opposite. That's the mission of the demonic spirits behind these false gods. On these altars, they would sacrifice animals and children. Child sacrifice directly violated God's command in Deuteronomy. And also God forbade the Israelites from sacrificing on altars that were not created for him. If it wasn't made for him, no sacrificing on it to him. All right, what can we learn? We should worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. When people try to worship God in their own terms, it, it leads to mismatching religions or beliefs. And God prevents that by setting out patterns in his word of what true worship looks like. And, you know, it's not hard for the human heart to make idols. It's kind of an uh, idol-making factory. It's not hard to find something other than the one true living God to fill our hearts with. 
And this story warns us of the dangers of worshiping something other than God. Now, believers today, we don't sacrifice on pagan altars, right? Yeah, I'm not in America. Thank you. Yeah, actually, people do probably. But as far as believers, okay, let me, okay, we digress. So I have a quote from Martin Luther that says, show me where a man spends his time and money and I will show you his God. What do you obsess over? What do you live for? Where do you spend the majority of your time and money? Is it something God's called you to do or is it something else? So these can be indications of idols. Often things we've, and it's often things we've become so used to that we keep them around as we're serving God. And it's like the kings of the Old Testament who would serve God but not remove the high places right? Why wouldn't they remove the high places? I think it's because it's so normal. It seems unnecessary to remove them. It's just kind of part of life and culture. And why? I mean, I'm serving God. What's the big deal? But is that the case in our lives? Are we following God, but still honoring other God's of other religions or practicing things that God has defined as sin. Can't we just keep this and follow God? No. Um, things like we took a, we talked, we sang about um, not taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay. Our lang, our no filthy language, no crude joking. That's not appropriate for God's people. We can't keep that high place going on the side while we're following God. Any sexual sin, there's lots of them. Any of those, we got to stop doing that. Don't do that. Um, getting drunk, that is clearly violates. Self-destructive thoughts and behaviors. That is demolishing the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not, not, not a good idea. Unforgiveness, holding on to grudges. That's just so normal. Can I just keep this going while I serve God? No. <laughs> Witchcraft, anything, um, any access into the spirit realm other than the Holy Spirit is wrong because it's using a demonic spirit. There's either evil spirits or there's godly spirits. So Anything curse, having to do with curses, spells, horoscopes, anything like that, get rid of it. That is like a, a high place, keeping it going on the side while you're trying to follow God. That is, that is detestable. He says, access the spirit realm through me, through the Holy Spirit. And so these are the things that we can ask the Lord. Is there anything that I've just kind of gotten used to that I've thought is unnecessary to get rid of? He'll reveal it to you. I'm preaching to myself too, guys. I don't, I'm not trying to come down hard on you. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit will, will, um, uh, tug on your heart. If, if, if something like this applies, so get rid of all practices that honor other gods or things that God has defined as sin. Okay. All right. So the next section of verses in our story here, the enemy has come together. They're camped in the Valley of Jezreel. 
and Gideon sends messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, calling them to arms, okay? And as this is going on, Gideon's like, God, can I have a little bit more assurance here uh, that you are going to save Israel? And so he asks for a miraculous sign. He says, in the morning, I'm, well, I'm going to lay out this wool fleece. In the morning, can you have there be dew on the fleece, but the ground under and around it dry? The next morning, sure enough, that's the case. Gideon's like, oh, sweet miracle. But can you do one more? How about tomorrow morning, you have the fleece dry and the ground around it wet with dew. God does the miracle again, and Gideon feels assured. So his men gather and get ready to go. For uh, chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now, okay, this army, there were like swarms of locusts. There's just so many. And, and God says, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce this to the army. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Okay, we pared it down to uh, 10,000 here. I wonder if God's happy with that number. Can he use that? Okay, but first, what can we learn about how to follow God here? When God acts in strength, don't boast that it was you. Because in this verse, God is warning that that's the tendency of the human heart. Man, that one convicts me so many times. Like, I'll cry out to God, I got to do this, this thing that seems too big for me. God, will you, will you work through me? Will you do the miracle? And, and then he does, and it's so amazing. I'm so excited. And afterwards, it's so be like, I did that. And it's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> now, I was obedient. I was a willing vessel, but God did it. It was his power. It was his miracle. So that's a good one to check ourselves on. All right. So verse Four, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. Um, so what happens is they all, they, he's like, you can go home. You can stay, you can go. Home. And then he's like, okay, everybody get a drink. And all of them who like this guy in the front who picked up water and lapped it like a dog. There were 300 of them, and God said, send everybody else home. I'm going to um, deliver the Midianites into your hands with these 300. Verse 9, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. Like, tonight's the night. We're going to do it tonight. And then he says, Gideon, if you're afraid to attack, Go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. And so what happens is God allows Gideon and Pura to overhear a dream that, that is then interpreted that says God has given uh, the battle to Gideon and the Israelites were, were doomed. We're doomed. 
<clears throat> and so Gideon returns to camp and says, get up. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into your hands. He is so encouraged by this. So what can we learn about God? This one is so precious. God provides encouragement. You see how encouraging and kind and patient. He's just guiding Gideon along the way, giving him assurance, like, boom, your offerings flames out of the rock and disappears and dry fleece and wet fleece. And, and now this sneak down to the camp over here, a dream in the interpret. I mean, he's just so good if you're afraid. And so you can have that assurance that as you're following him, he's going to encourage you along the way. He's going to be so patient and so kind with you and guide you every step. Isn't that so good? Okay. So here's the battle dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. This is Gideon talking. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords and the Midianite army fled. Wow. What a battle. What a God led battle. He used torches, jars and trumpets and 300 men. He did it. Isn't that amazing? So what I want us to learn about God and think about is that he is the most creative masterful strategist against anything the enemy is bringing you. He is amazing. We can't even imagine how he could, he, how he could get us out of something or get Gideon out of this, but he has this plan. So Gideon and the Israelites had an insurmountable enemy that would raid them every harvest. What impossible situation are you up against in your life? Do you feel outnumbered by the enemy coming against you? I want to tell you today and remind you today and let your faith grow today that God is the master strategist. And, I, and just to raise your faith, and I just believe by the Holy Spirit right now that you would give um, the gift of faith and that you would increase our faith right now, Lord, as I read the accounts of what you've done in your word The Egyptian, Egyptians, their mighty chariots were going to overpower the Israelites. God jammed the chariot wheels of the Egyptians. The Amalekites are defeating the Israelites. God says, Moses, hold your hands in the air. And, the, and they defeat. God sends hornets ahead of his people to clear the enemy out of their path. Hornets. They were overcome. There was no way. There's a way for God. How are we going to overcome this great enemy? Um, march around the city walls. How about that? That'll work. March around the walls. Okay, we can do that. 
This is the kind of God we serve. He, ha- he, has jo- he gives Joshua's army so much encouragement and stamina for this night-long march and this long, long battle. He sends hailstones. He has the sun stand still for a full day, and they defeat the enemy. He sends uh, a loud, when the Israelites are turning back to God under Samuel's leadership, uh, and they said, how are we going to defeat the Philistines? The Lord sent a loud thunder. That's all he needed to do. A loud thunder. It sent them into a panic. A loud thunder. What about when you feel so overwhelmed? God, there's no way out. Let your faith be like there is. I trust. I believe there. I see no way, but I trust that you have. There's always a way with you. I believe this one is um, Joshua and his armor bearer to defeat the Philistines. The God sends an earthquake and a panic and they start killing each other. The Philistines kill each other with their swords. Wow. Oh, this is one of my favorites. (laughs) David's like, okay, how are we going to defeat the Philistines? God's like, here's the plan. You go up around back and you stand in front of the poplar trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the poplar trees, that's your sign because I'm gone before you. The sound of marching in the poplar trees. God can do anything. He's amazing. Oh, this is another one of my favorites. Uh, He used water and the reflection of the sun off of the water to make the Moabites think it was blood. And they assume, oh, they all killed each other because there were a couple of them that joined together to fight the Moabites. So they run down. Let's go get the plunder. They run right in and get they're defeated. Second King seven, um, God sends the sound of a great army when Samaria is under siege and the leprous men find out and, and go back and tell the report, the sound of a great army. Wow. Second Chronicles 15, Asa cries out to the Lord because the Cushite army was so vast, thousands upon thousands. And this says the Lord struck down the Cushites. He didn't even have them do some like marching or anything like that. Just, he did it. He just, he struck down the Cushites. And then God sent a message to Asa. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, you will be found by him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So my purpose in sharing this is to raise your faith. What I'm not saying is God is like this vending machine. You, you have, you know, you run into some trouble and you're just like, okay, God, I need you to you save me out of this. And I'm just going to sit back. Like sometimes they had to suffer a long time before God rescued them. They had to remain faithful for a long time. And often they had to put forth great effort and, and great energy with the plan that God had for them. But God is the master tragedist. He can provide a miraculous way forward when you're following him and you're up against an impossible situation. Amen. All right, back to Gideon's story. So at this point, Gideon and his men um, have pursued the enemy. They have captured, routed, and defeated them. Okay, and we're going to pick up towards the end of his story in uh, chapter eight, verse 22. And um, 
Something really sad happens at the end, just a spoiler alert. Okay, so first in verse 22, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And so this is a tendency. The Israelites keep wanting a king. They want a monarchy because the other people do around them. But to do that would be to reject God as their military leader. And Gideon understands that he's like, nope, I'm not going to rule over you. And um, so Gideon does say, but I do have one request. Uh, I'd like everyone to give me an earring from the plunder. And they say, oh, well, we'd be glad to do that. We'd be glad to give it. And so Gideon made the gold into an ephod. Um, if you don't know what an ephod is, it's kind of like an apron or sort of like a sleeveless vest. It's, it's like um, it's most normally associated with the priesthood. It's a holy garment, but other times it's used as a pagan object associated with idols. But um, so what happens is uh, he, he made it, he, the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Because you know what they did? They worshiped the symbol of victory instead of the one who gave them the victory. If so, and, and they were already starting to do it um, with Gideon. They wanted to worship Gideon instead of God because they said to Gideon, you delivered us. So there's a caution here not to worship the means by which the victory comes or the person through which God brings your victory or the symbol of the victory, but to worship God who gives the victory. Amen. So that's an important thing that we can learn at this point in Gideon's story. So many, so many good things. And then the last thing that I want to point out that we can learn is to stay devoted to God even after an awesome climactic God moment. Woo! Gideon had that, but then he drifted away. So don't, um, you don't say, well, I had that one awesome time with God, that season with God. So now, you know, that's going to ride me through. So now I can just kind of ignore him and do sinful things and do that. So that is the last thing I want to point out is to stay steadfast to God and not just when he moves mightily through you in an amazing season of your life. Amen. All right. That's what I have for you. That's what we pulled out from the life of Gideon so we could learn about God and how to follow him. Bless you, church. Thanks, Marilee. Would you guys stand? We're going to wrap up for the day this morning, but let's respond to what we've considered of the outcome of the life of Gideon. Some high highs and a, unfortunately a low low at the end. Would you just close your eyes as we pray? God, would you speak right now to each of us?
Lord, would you convict our hearts of the idols that we're worshiping or that we're maintaining alongside you? Would you convict us of the ways we've claimed the victory as our own strength? The ways we try to gather resources to gain a victory instead of leaning on your power? You just convict us of our lack of faith that you could do it. Convict us that we have more faith in the obstacles than the one who can help us overcome them. I feel like God's speaking to you guys what it is you need to do. Gideon had to clear out the idols out of his life. And if the Lord is speaking to you about something you're maintaining alongside him that you've put above him as more important to you, respond. And so we're going to wrap up here in just a second, but come kneel at the altar. Come pray with someone on the prayer team and don't leave the room until you cut down the Asherah pole and burn the altar to Baal and make a sacrifice to the Lord because he has a great victory for you. He has a great plan for your life, but he will not share your devotion with anything else because that would be saying you're not making him God. (laughs) You're not making him king. You're not letting him rule. You're ruling or setting up something else to rule. Father God, would you give us grace to respond faithfully to your word? To be honest with ourselves and honest with you. Honest about the culture that we live in and the ways it's affected us. Give us grace and the courage to cut down the stuff that's still in our lives. That is opposed to you. That pulls us away from you. And God, we thank you that if we're faithful to do that, you are faithful to your word and there is immense blessing by making you king, Lord, the one who leads us out into battle when we fight battles, the one who causes us to reap an abundant harvest. You provide for our needs. You love us. You have compassion on us. You've called us to be in your family. You've made us co-heirs with your son, Jesus Immense riches are ours. Everything we want is ours in you if we make you God and King and Master and Savior. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for the opportunity to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen.